This is the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. Three, two, one, and welcome everybody to this episode of the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. I am your humble host, the lost American in Norway, John Allen. Uh, for those of you who are watching or listening, please look in the episode description, and there you will see a couple of links where you can click in if you'd like to uh, support the work that I do on the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. Just check in the episode description, and there it is. And here is Bob Clendenin. Hi, Bob. Uh, John, nice to meet you. How are you? You know, I, I, as I told you before we went live on the mic, it's been a little hectic. Uh, yeah. I had to order that Corona test for uh, myself and our son. Uh, our daughter has uh, has the coronavirus, but she's, I don't know, I think she gets it from her mother. Her mother is a tough uh, person of the Sami people, the Laplanders of Norway. She's tough. Uh, she's a little badass. And I think our daughter got most of her genes. So she's pretty much symptom free and she's been doing just fine. She should, she should skate through it, but my thoughts are with you. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. We're trying to trying to do the right thing here and notify all of our close contacts and everything and make sure they yeah. get checked out. And for those who are listening, that is the right thing to do. Uh, do not take Corona as a joke. I've been blessed so far. Our daughter is blessed. Like I said, she's pretty much symptom free, but please don't take it light, lightly. You've you got to do the right it's thing, not people. To, not to be trifled with. So that's our health message for the day. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's fantastic to meet you, uh, even under these circumstances. Yes, thank you, Bob. Thanks for doing this. You know, uh, this is somewhat of a surrealistic uh, experience for me. Um, you know, I've got a good amount of listeners and a good amount of viewers, and I've had some important people. I've had some famous people. And I've had the average Joe on the street on my podcast. But I'm going to put you up there with that celebrity uh that that surprisingly uh reachable uh elite person in the, uh, in the, i don't think i belong in that group but i'm oh, come really on. flattered take, 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 dip your toes in that dip your toes in that world I'm celebrity adjacent i think that's <laughs> the best way to describe it uh, I have to say, Bob, you are, well, you know, going back to Scrubs, we're not going to talk too much about Scrubs. We're going to talk about what okay. you're doing with Vice Force Action Squad, um, but or what you have done with Vice Force right. Action Squad. But what you, the work that you did on Scrubs, Scrubs is one of my favorite, all-time favorite series. Now, my daughter was born, um, and then it was maybe a month after she was born that I discovered uh, Scrubs. So this was a couple of years after Scrubs had already gotten started. And whenever I think of those first years of my daughter's life, I think of Scrubs sitting there watching that show, trying not to laugh because yeah. my daughter, pretty much newborn, is on my shoulder sleeping. And if I were to laugh, it would wake her up. <laughs> uh, you know, what's interesting is that, uh, and you said your wife is in the health field. Yes. Um, that uh, we've, what routinely is said about Scrubs is that it's the most realistic show to medical professionals that, um, I'm sorry, my dog just opened the door. Um, <laughs> that, you know, it's not, people who are really in the field say, well, it's no, ER is not representative. Um, no. You know, Grey's Anatomy is not representative. It was really, if you're really in that field, Scrubs is the closest you're gonna get to really um, being on point for what those guys go through. I, uh, I, which is very, very flattering. I, be I believe that. Um, yeah. The, the, the type of humor that they put out there in order to heal themselves from traumatic experiences, you know, the doctors and nurses there. Uh, I got to see that firsthand. Uh, I'm a former police officer, and I was also yeah. trained as a paramedic. So when I did my clinical time, I did it in an ER, and I saw 
how it doesn't matter how stressed out the doctors and nurses were. It doesn't matter mm -hmm. what was going on. They always had their humor in place. There was yeah. a lot of laughter, a Very lot of a lot of positive yeah. emotion there, and I think it was medicine to combat the trauma that they were experiencing. Literally, hands in, or I'm sorry, mm -hmm. hands on uh, tra traumatic experiences. Uh, I think you're right on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, to and as a as an actor, it's one of the my favorite experiences because it was such a um, an absolutely uh, free form experience. I, I adore Bill Lawrence, who's uh, who is the creator and showrunner, and I ended up working subsequently with him on Cougar Town and and some other yeah. shows and stuff. And um, his sets are just always an absolute actor's dream because they're so. Um, you know, uh, free and, you know, and, and, and positive and people are there to have a good time, but be professional. It's just really yeah. a great, great experience. And the writing's always so um, brilliant that you're, you're trying to be as good as the lines, which is often not the case, you know, when you're, you're, you're needing to improve a bad <laughs> script. And that's never the case with Bill's yeah. shows. You're, you're desperately uh, hoping that you match his writing. From what I hear, from what I understand, he has, or his projects have a reputation of being a, uh, a family-like atmosphere for the actors. Mm -hmm. I mean, you guys, you guys do what you do in front of the camera, but you guys also get to know each other and a certain friendship, a certain family relationship is built. Is that true? 100%. And yeah. not only that, but um, you'll see if you watch, if the people who are fans of all of his shows see the same people over and over again. <laughs> I've he, noticed. He really loves, because he loves to use people that he, who he genuinely enjoys working with. Um, and I was lucky to, the Scrubs was the first thing I did with him. And then, and we kind of hit it off. And I think he liked me and I certainly liked him. And so he finds places for you in, in subsequent shows. And Zach Praff comes on Cougar Town and I do, you know, it's like everybody is very in the same crew, a lot of the same yeah. camera department, sound, sound department, set dressers and stuff. So it's really it, exactly like that. It's a family that, um, you know, I think Christopher Guest, who I've not worked with, is very similar. He he has people that he genuinely enjoys going to work with. And so why not use those? Um, if it ain't broke, it don't need no fixing. Just keep on yeah. going, right? It's true. And you know, what's funny is when I look back at like when I was first starting out in Los Angeles and I'd get irritated at people who worked, I'd say the same people in somebody's shows or the casting director be using the same. I, just, I get so irritated because I wasn't in the circle. And then you realize, well, there is something to be said for using people who you have a confidence in their professionalism, their attitude on set, they're, you know, they're not going to be a headache. And if that's proven from your past experience, then of course you're going to use them. And it's a very natural human instinct. It's just frustrating for the people who are outside the circle to say, well, how do I get in then? I guess I never thought of it from that angle. I, I would always, I get my, my inclination is to think that the creator of the show or the director, producer, you know, the people that are making it happen are going to stick with what they know best because, you know, they have their living to make. Uh, mm -hmm. They have their goals and their, their level of success that they would either like to attain or, 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 or uphold. But yeah, there's another side of it. The newer actors who are trying to get into that circle. I guess I, self, I yeah. selfish I me. I never thought myself. of that. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Until you're until you're in their shoes, right? Well, I. You know what? I tried. I, I quite recently tried to get into uh, to their shoes. It's kind of funny. And she's coming <laughs> on. She's coming on as a guest here in a couple of weeks. She is a, a casting agent here in Norway, and she put out a call for actors to play the role of a villain. Right. Mm -hmm. And she said, just submit a couple paragraphs about who you are in a photo. So I did the paragraphs about who I, who I am. 
but I was really not thinking about the photo. The photo of me is of me. Uh, it's like a quarter turn shot, and I'm smiling as wide as I can. Right. And again, the part was for a villain. Not so, so villain-like. Well, so she sent me a message back. She said, John, great smile, but you don't look like a villain. Sorry, I don't think you're going to get the part. And I had to laugh at myself, like, what an idiot. Why would you send that picture? Right. Of all yeah. the pictures I could have, you know, I'm a big, solid power lifter. I could have sure. sent, sent myself in a tank top or something, flexing or uh -huh. something like that. And I send this picture of me smiling. So, One lesson, but you won't, make the, you won't make that mistake again. I will not make that mistake again. And maybe I'll get some tips from you about how to get, <laughs> how to get into that world. But, but let, me, let me ask you, Bob. Okay, everybody knows your resume. But not everybody, you know, I know your resume, but I don't know you, Bob, the person. Mm -hmm. Let me start with, you know, prior to you getting into Hollywood, where are you born and raised? And when did you first get this idea, this desire to get into that world and become an actor? Uh, I'm, I'm a very, very late join to the um, to the career. I was I was born in Ohio. My father was working uh, out of after undergrad there quickly moved to the Bay Area. Did you say Ohio? Um, yeah, Newark, Ohio. Okay, I'm there. from he Ohio. Was, I'm from Norton, right? Norton, Ohio, yeah. I, yeah. We were only there for a year and a half while he was with the okay. aluminum uh, okay. company there. And then he went to business school and, and uh, subsequently the Bay Area. But my, my real upbringing was in Australia. He moved, he was with a big consulting company and I opened some offices in Melbourne and Sydney and he was, um, asked to go and oversee their opening until they could, uh, you know, um, get a, an Australian to run them. And uh, it was supposed to be a three-year thing. They fell in love with the country. And so I stayed there from about eight to 18. I was there for about 10 years. All my high school and junior high were, okay. were in, um, in Melbourne. And I came back to the United States to go to college. I was an engineer in college. I uh, was a very heavy math and science nerd. And I thought that that's the, that would be the profession for me. And um, I did not, Love it. And I, uh, it was with a lot of really hardcore engineering types who really were into it. And I just, my heart wasn't in it. Um, what I was missing? Out, but it, what was missing I'm in not, that career that you... I, I'm not, you know, I don't know whether it was just, uh, I mean, I, I still love math and I still love analytical thought, but I just, I wasn't driven by the, the material. And um, I started, I did, well, I, I said, well, I'll try doing a play just because I wanted a little bit of a pastime to um, offset the, the the engineering. And I fell in love with um, just doing, the, the people were so different than engineers, yeah. um, so open. And and um, I really, really enjoyed it. I said, well, I'll, I want to do more of this. So I, I started doing more things with the theater department. I tried to do a couple classes there. Um, if, you know, they were allowed, I, I was still technically an engineer and I graduated as one not well but uh finally did get my diploma yeah. um but I thought well I want to I would really like to pursue this so I went to graduate school for acting immediately after that and that was a three-year um master's program I didn't know whether I mean at the time it was sort of a training for the stage yeah. um and I got some advice from there that because I have um a very distinct uh a look appearance <laughs> um, that maybe a film and TV, TV would be a good option for me. So I came um, out to Los Angeles in the early nineties uh, and then took about two or three years of kind of struggling and sending in headshots and getting rejected and not getting an agent and all that business. 
uh, until I finally started to get a couple jobs and those led to more. And, you know, but in the meantime, in the meantime, before you got those first gigs, what were you doing uh, for an income? I, um, I had two main survival jobs. I worked um, for a, there's an SAT review um, preparation company called Princeton Review. Um, and I worked for them as a tutor. Uh, and then I also worked in a muffin um, distri- factory. I w- it was a, uh, a heck of a leap. <laughs> a, a company that did um, uh, gift baskets, muffins and cakes and things like that. And I worked okay. in their phone center and ended up um, kind of sort of running their shipping department. Uh, and they were very understanding. All these places, both places were really good um you know, there's so many jobs in Los Angeles that have to be um, cognizant of their employees being having other aspirations. I see. Um, yeah. And it's and it sort of goes with the territory and people. And so a lot if you can find a good one, they will be very understanding of of you having to leave at three because you have an audition or um, whatever. So it's not a cliche then that there are a lot of people in Los Angeles looking to get their feet wet in Hollywood. Oh, every, it's, everyone, it's the truth. Everyone, people every are. Waiter, is yeah. a musician, a writer, yeah. or an actor. I mean, it's that's it. why. Why would you live in in a city this expensive and this enormous if that wasn't your, you know? Yeah. Uh, so it's so, and it's true. And and I think people, most people, really are very respectful of it, and um, and know that everybody's got to start there, and or most people have to start there and, and kind of work their way up um, until they get those breaks that they need. Now, you, you talked about how um, it was, you know, it's not like you, you find fame and fortune at once. Uh, you know, you have to work for it. You've got to network. You've got to audition, audition, audition. Mm-hmm. Um, was there ever any point uh, in your first days, first years in uh, Los Angeles where you felt like you might have to find something else to do? You might have to give up on that dream or that desire oh, of being absolutely. an actor. It's, it's really discouraging. It can be really discouraging. I mean, the numbers that are working against you are really um, formidable. And I came here, I, you know, I felt like I was a hotshot in graduate school. You're in a very small pool of actors. There's, you know, there were yeah. four in my class. There were six in the class behind. I mean, so every, every play that they do, you're going to be cast and you're going to, and I was lucky to be cast very well. And so I came out here thinking I was a real hot shot. And I was, I thought everybody's going to be clamoring to have more of me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they're all going to be fighting over who gets to represent me and, and, and I'll have to pick and choose which movies I want. And, and it, and you get knocked in the face pretty quickly um, with the reality that that's not the way it's going to be. Um, and so there's a, there, it was very discouraging. It was, you know, I would do a play here and try to get, casting directors or, or agents to come and see it. And no, you know, they don't want to yeah. waste an evening on some, <laughs> somebody they've never met. I mean, honestly, I, and I don't blame them in retrospect, but it's so hard and frustrating for you because you're like, well, I'm doing everything right. Um, and I still can't get um, any kind of break. And it's just a matter, I think of tenacity and yeah. my personal um, observation after all this is that I think there's about a three year threshold that is is uh is a is sort of a um a maginot line like uh um okay i think people leave i think some people make the mistake of only coming out here for a year getting frustrated and leaving i think it really takes three a good three years for you to a you know find a good survival job have a network of supportive people friends to build on that where you might make some industry contacts that you can utilize um and I three think years really take, I think three years is a good, and if, and if you're here, if you make it past the three-year mark, I think you're here kind of for good, and it'll be, um, 
you know, it may still not be terribly successful, but at least then I think that's, it's too, before then, I think it's too early to pull the plug. It kind of weeds out the, you know, I don't want to say these people don't have any tenacity or maybe they didn't believe so very much in their, in their dream of making it, uh, so to speak in Hollywood, but it does kind of weed out. I mean, for those yeah. of you who make it, you know, past that threshold, you know, a couple of three years, that says something about your tenacity. It says something about your focus. It says something yeah. about your way uh, or your ability rather to navigate those obstacles. And uh, 100%. That's a great point. And I think that there's also, and this is sort of the, I'm, now I'm going to go into the get off my lawn part of my uh, personality, but like, <laughs> I think that there's so much of um, a desire now to be famous instead of to pursue something for the right reasons because you love the work or you love the, the creation. And I think that that's been um, very harmful to this industry in particular. You have a lot of people coming here for, um, I think, not not great reasons, um, very shallow reasons. And it's hard to sustain, you know, the drive if that's your motivation is to be on, is just to be worshipped. If that's your motivation, I don't think there's going to be. Good point. Uh, yeah. Well, what, and what do you think is the cause of that? Is it just a purely unexplainable generational thing? Is it just these young kids? This is what their motivations are? Or is it, is it in a broader sense, is it social media that's making? Uh, I would lean towards that. I also think that we've, you know, as a society, we start to exalt people who are famous for being famous, you know, there, and you had this, I mean, I guess way back in my early days, we had people like Zsa, Zsa Gabor, people who, who were kind of in the news a lot, but you're yeah. not really sure what they did. Yeah. But now there's such an abundance of them. Um, and th the um, attention is so it can be so immediate and so voluminous that, you know, somebody can have a, um, a viral video and, and suddenly 30 million people are aware of it within 24 hours. And that was never the case before. So... I think that has catapulted this um, this sort of desire to 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 you know um, take advantage of it. I wonder um, I wonder how many actors, actresses, uh, and let's throw musicians in that mix as well. I wonder how many of them are struggling with themselves because they've lost their identity. They've put on mm. a certain false mask. Um, in other words, they're doing what they feel they need to do in order to air quotes, make it. And in that oh, process, they're compromising, uh, they maybe are. their values, their morals, they're, 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 they're stripping away their own identity. I wonder how many that, people uh, that's I, happening I not, to. I'd not consider, I think it's a, probably a huge number. Mm -hmm. I also think that we've become as a society, we've become, um, we believe it's our right to know every detail about an artist's personality and yeah. their personal life. And I don't think that was the case before. I think no. that if you were a musician or an actor, it was not as intrusive. You did your work and you might be photographed going to parties and things, but it was not, there weren't stories and stories about whether you, what your politics are or what right. charities you support, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that's all. And so people now are crafting what they think should be the ideal, uh, most, most, um, tele-friendly personality profile, um, which may not be genuine. Like you say, it may not be who they are and, but they feel they need to do it. Otherwise they're going to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've just always wondered what some of these newer, um, uh, celebrities, what they're hearing from their publicist. Um, yeah. 
You know, and, and then I look at old, oh, the old cats, that the people that I respect, somebody like Neil Young, who's my favorite living, <laughs> living artist. Yeah. Uh, that guy is still a mystery. He's been doing this for, what, 50, uh, probably 60-some no, years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he started like in 1964, I believe, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and he's still a mystery. And yeah. I believe, uh, I don't believe that's contrived. I think that's just his nature. And he got you know, successful at what he does in a time where a publicist wasn't telling you to act a certain way in order to yeah. be famous and popular. Yeah. I think whereas, right. whereas now the, 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 these publicists or, and even the artists themselves, they're, they're locked into that pathway, that modern pathway um, that says, this is what you have to do to be famous. Now go do it. Cause if you don't, you're True. not going to make it. And I think furthermore, you used to have the privilege of letting your work speak for itself. Well, um, yes. now it's yeah. so it's there's the level of competition and the volume of competition is so intense that if you're let's say stay in the music field if you're you know a, that medium tier musician unless you're saying something outrageous or unless yeah. you're present at every single um you know covered media event you can get lost in the in the shuffle and so there's this drive to get for publicists and, and managers to get their people out there and visible. And that's the only way they can rise, you know, in amongst this, this huge sea of people. And I'm not sure that's great for you know any of these, any of these industries. How do you, how have you stayed grounded, Bob? How, how, you know, you, you're saying these things and you say it because you believe it. So you're almost, I don't want to say you're an anomaly, but but there is a narrative out there from, especially from people on the right, where Hollywood is corrupted, the people are fake, period. There's no room right. for nuance in the eyes of a lot of people, especially on the right, the political right, when it comes to people in Hollywood. But you, Bob, have a, um, it's almost a cult, a cultish sub-genre uh, following where people just, I mean, right. I, I, I love, first of all, I love your presence on Twitter. I'm uh, a jerk, but thank you. I, I, I love it. You're a jerk in all of the right and humorous ways. Uh, there's no, how can I say this? You're, you're able to say some things that can at times be rather biting on Twitter, mm -hmm. things that you write, but it's not mean-spirited and it's not yeah. from a lofty place. It's not from a place of arrogance. You have Thank always you. come across as a guy who is very approachable. And I, I mean, I that's, like that, proves, I mean, I, that proves to be true. Here I am speaking with you on my podcast. So you are quite approachable. How have you stayed uh, grounded all these years? Kind, I, um, I actually do. I do think I, I veer, you know, I mean, I'm trying to check myself. I think very often I do get mean on Twitter and I, and I try to. They des Bob, they deserve wife. it. They deserve yeah, it. Yeah, well, they probably do. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, my wife will say, you know, they, you kind of came out, came out across a little bit like an asshole on that one. And I, and I look at it again and I say, you know what I did? And I, and I get, I get personally invested. You get in these personal fights with people you, who you're never going to meet. And, and if you step back and go, this is really silly. I, well, let's argue the issues or, you know, make fun of, trying to bring, you know, bring some kind of awareness by mocking something. That's one thing, but to start attacking somebody personally, yeah. which I've occasionally fall into and I don't like it about myself. And so I've, I always, that's a constant check I need to do. Um, coming back to your original point about how I've sort of stayed um, immune to a lot of the Hollywoods. I think that I'm in a lucky place. I, you know, I'm, I'm a really, um, I'm a character actor. There's no way around how I'm never going to be a leading man. And I think that those people are treated a little bit differently than those, those character people like myself. Who how, are, how so? Um, we're utility players, you know, like I'm, 
I'm always going to be the, the, the weird neighbor, the security guard, whatever it is, the guys that supplemental, the supporting cask, which I love, and I would never want to change anything about it. But if, if there's a red, red carpet event, the photographers are going to be taking pictures of, um, you know, Brad and Tom. And, the, and when I come through, that's not, that's not their, that's not a big, that's not a big sell, you know, I, I, and I like that because it gives me sort of a certain level of anonymity, even though I'm, I think I'm recognizable. A lot of people would never know my name and I couldn't be happier with that sort of um, balance. I get recognized enough to stroke my ego, but not sought after so much that I don't have a private life or a, a real. Um, so you found a very comfortable space in between anonymity and and, and extreme celebrity you yeah. found a yeah which i love and, and i love it you know because i'm a, a, a you know a dad here in burbank i um i try to be really um present sort of in the community in terms of like pta and i was a little yeah. league coach for a while with my son and stuff like that so i really yeah. had a normal dad life which i think a lot of people who were in that in those several tiers above me um can't really easily have you know when we used to go out with um uh on cougar town you know i was very we were all really really good friends and we would all go out to dinner sometimes and courtney cox obviously is extremely um uh she's she's in that top in that top tier and her life is very difficult sure. she has a daughter who she adores and just having regular experience in going to the grocery store is not possible for her and i would see it and go wow that's Kudos to you for being able to do that. I don't think I could. I think I would just be um, rattled all the time. I've always wondered, you know, my thing entertainment wise uh, is, is uh, stand up comedy and a musician. I do both of those things. Uh -huh. And as successful as I would like to be, uh, I've always thought that where is that line that is crossed to where success makes your life actually worse than it was yeah. before yeah. the success? People like Courtney Cox, mm -hmm. people like Brad Pitt, uh, you know, musicians like Madonna. Uh, how, yeah. how, I just wonder how much of themselves they lose when they reach that level of celebrity. Like you say, you can't even go to a grocery store. You can't yeah. be seen in public with your children and have a normal experience. Yeah, I I, you know, I I haven't been on the receiving end of it, so I don't really know. But I think it really is intrusive, and um, and maybe that's just sort of the deal that you sign on for. If you seek that kind of um, fame, maybe that's sort of the deal with the devil you have to make. But yeah, I do feel for them, and I also when you see, you know, those old days when Britney had her meltdown and attacked yes. the, you know, you, it, I I get it. I yeah. it, to. Who wouldn't crack under that kind of pressure? Yeah, because know? that kind of all... pressure is not normal. That kind of life is not no. normal. I don't think we as humans are equipped. I mean, we can navigate through that, but I don't think we're equipped to to, to, to be met with that type of celebrity and that type of accessibility yeah. uh, and navigate it without some sort of negative result on yeah. us personally. And you know, what's interesting, it just occurred to me, because this kind of um, dovetails back to what we were talking about earlier. Now with the ability for anybody, any single person to document any event at any time with their cam with their camera, there's a heightened awareness that if, if celebrity A um, has a, ha says something mean to the cashier or, or shows a poor side of themselves in a, in a restaurant, it's immediately documented and it's immediately put on social media. And so there's a microscope now that's on 
everyone, but particularly people who are who are name worthy like that, the, to to mo to moderate all of their behavior. And I, I'm not quite sure if that's the uh, the best thing right now. Well. I think people should be responsible for their actions, but I also believe that people who see these uh, outbursts or these meltdowns, we normal people should have a certain amount of understanding that these people are living a life that, like I said, I don't believe humans are meant to live <laughs> that type mm -hmm. of life True. with that much attention True. and that much, that level of celebrity. But, but the caveat would be often, I think people are baited. I mean, because we know, oh, that sure, is, sure. you know, so, and you can, you can bait somebody for half an hour and then film the one minute after that where they where they told you to fuck off. Right. And then right. suddenly we're all going, wow, look at the mouth on her. Um, and it's just, and there's, and, there, and so everything is taken out of context. I'm not defending, I mean, I think people no. behave badly and I think they, but I'm saying that there's our thirst for immediate, you know, sizzle um, videos and stuff like that is, is really, well, I think sending us, a, yeah. Well, yeah, a lot of people, like like I said, um, there is this narrative out there that everything about Hollywood is fake and those people are bad and they deserve to be brought down. So there's a yeah. lot of people that want to see actors, actresses, musicians, they want to see them burn. Sure. Uh, I, I'm a believer in forgiveness. Um, you, you, I, I can give a couple of examples. Uh, in fact, one, I spoke with uh, with Eric Ernst, the, the yeah. writer and director for yes. Vice Force Action Squad, which we're going to talk about later. Uh, okay. I did an episode with him a few days ago. It was released on Sunday, and we talked about uh, the stand-up comedian Louis C.K., uh -huh. and yeah, what he example. did. And I had, it was a great conversation with Eric, but we slightly disagreed about, um, how do I put this, about the aftermath of Louis C.K.'s uh, being canceled mm -hmm. um, as part of the Me Too uh, movement. Uh, you know, I, I believe, as I believe everyone thinks, that what Louis C.K. did was terrible. And I don't think there needs to be a discussion about whether he did it or not because he admitted right. that he did it. But I guess I was thinking that what Louis did was a horrible thing. He apologized from what I understand, from what he has said, and actually from what some of these women have said. He has approached them and they have you know, I almost said kissed and made up, but the kissing and making, mm -hmm. that's the wrong term to use. They've, they've come to terms with what have happened right. and they're moving on. But there's a large portion of the public out there who thinks that Louis C.K. should not have the opportunity to return. Yeah. And th I, that part I don't understand. I don't understand yeah. the insistence that someone should never be able to make a living because of a mistake that they made. No matter mm -hmm. how horrible that mistake is, there should be a path to redemption, a path to forgiveness and forgiveness. reinstatement. I believe that. Yeah. Um, I think I'm on your side. What, did Eric think that, that, that there are certain transgressions were not forgivable? That yes. You, uh, you, that's uh, kind of what he can, to, to paraphrase, he's basically yeah. saying that Louis C.K. should not have uh, the opportunity to be on the mic right now. If I and remembering and understanding Eric's point. Yeah. And so we had a slightly different view on what should be happening with Louis C.K. now. But I'm again, I'm in the general thought that anyone, regardless of what you have done, there should be a path to forgiveness and redemption. Yeah. I, you know, I personally, I, I think so too. Otherwise, you know, how do we encourage uh, ourselves to be better um, as people and as a society? If you don't, if you don't learn from your... Uh, 
I mean, an interesting uh, side ones. I was just watching Marjorie Taylor Greene. Oh God! Her Wait a minute. I take it back. Uh, there should not always be a path to forgiveness and well, I take it back. <laughs> let's see. Yeah, let's look. Because did you see this? She talked. To, she had just been to the Holocaust Museum. Yeah, I and saw. She that. talked about how she suddenly now has an, a new heightened awareness that the Holocaust was bad, um, and so. And she and she said theoretically she said all the right things. She said I was wrong, I made a mistake. I I ask for your um, now because I loathe her so much. I was I, I'm still shaking my head. But you know, is, well, do we extend it there as well? Well, I'm okay. Here's the thing. I believe in taking their word for you know. Okay, <clears throat> Louis C.K. apologized for what he did, and he said that he feels bad about it, and and he wishes he hadn't done it, and he wants to make it right. So I have to believe him mm-hmm. until he. And, and my inclination is to <laughs> believe them until they until. show that they shouldn't be believed. And right. Louis C.K. And hasn't shown hasn't shown yeah. that. Now, um, and here's one thing I remember about what Eric and I were talking about when it comes to Louis C.K. Uh, Eric said, yeah, Louis apologized. He went away for a while and he came back and he started doing rape jokes immediately. And I'm thinking, uh, yes, he did. But Louis C.K. was not in trouble for making rape jokes. That's mm, not what he was in oh, trouble for. Right. So in Marjorie Taylor Greene's instance, my first inclination is, you know, this, this woman, is she doesn't mean it. But... Mm-hmm. Okay, she did say that she's had an epiphany. She did say that she was wrong before. So let's wait and see. Let her have the opportunity to show us that she doesn't mean what she's saying now yeah. when she's humbling herself and saying right. that she's done something wrong. And I now, I can't stand that woman experience. either. I can't stand well, that woman either. I mean, I think she's totally deplorable. You want to talk about we'll a basket of deplorables? Before she proves that she that she that that was not quite genuine. Yeah. I think it will be literally less than a day before there's a new bit of stupid that falls out of her mouth. And and, and I agree. And I agree. But 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 again, in the same time as I agree, I do believe that if she chooses to put into words the fact that she has made a change or she's realized uh, 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 something that she did horrible was in fact horrible, then let's mm-hmm. let's just wait a second and see. And, yeah, and, and it may only take a second <laughs> before she right, proves right. that she's still the idiot that she's always uh, been. Uh, yeah, uh, I totally agree. Yeah. Um, um, I, I, I cannot get behind anything that that woman stands for, but <laughs> I just can't, but, but she yeah. has apologized and all this stuff. So let's right. just see what she does. Yeah. But, but we, but we do, I think one of the things that I, um, try to, particularly on Twitter, when we have these political discussions, tr- try to maintain is a, an awareness of if the situation were reversed, would I still feel the same way? Because I really think that what's kill, what hurts us so much is this, um, the partisan, the, the, uh, what do you call it? Tribalism. The, yes. the, 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 I will, I will forgive it when my side does it, but I will condemn it when your side does, you know, that, and I don't, and I don't think that's helpful for anybody no. and I'm guilty of it occasionally. Um, but I really think that's the, that's one of the core principles is if you can go look, if this was reversed, if we switch the teams on here, would you still be taking the same position in either defending it or condemning it? And it's a really good question to be constantly asking yourself. I think that would, that would, that would, um, that would get us out of having to experience so many crazy arguments on social media. If people would just ask Nuts. themselves that question right there. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm a believer in the fact that, that, uh, or in the notion that social media and Donald Trump's exploitation of it is the, 
sole reason why we are where we are today. Americans have always disagreed along party lines, but it has never been like this never. until that idiot started exploiting social media and people's tendencies to, 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 to step into tribalism. He, as dumb as he is, he was smart enough to exploit that. And I he believe really, that's why I'm, we are the way we are today. Well, he really, because uh, I, I don't think he's a particularly bright man, but I do no. think he's a marketing uh, genius. Yes. I think that like his entire career was built on branding and on marketing and on um, creating perceptions yeah. that he then used in his political career. And yeah. it was all about an image perception um, and a division and, and getting the team set and, and then, and then, and then exploiting it, like you said, and he did it quite brilliantly. I don't like, I'm like, uh, you know, Oh God, I don't you hate saying that. In, don't you yeah. hate using brilliant, it, but, it, but it's true, <laughs> but it is but true. Because we it is true. The situation. We yeah. would have dismissed him as, a, as another kook, you know, yeah. we had, um, you know, people like, and I didn't, and I didn't dislike him that much, but people like Ross Perot, who just were able to be dismissed as kind of nutty or, um, or Ron Paul, you know, who, who really reached out to certain little factions and segments and spoke truth to them. Yeah. Um, but then they were able to be just cast aside because of whatever other, nut, and he did, he did not fall into that. Somehow he, somehow he, he rose fall. above, but I think he rose yeah. above by being at his very core, a very vile hateful mm. and petty person. And he mm -hmm. tapped into, um, he tapped into an element that people like Ross Perot, um, and, and, and others that were kind of on the fringes of yeah. what is a normal politician. They didn't, they didn't tap into that ugliness, uh, that, that yeah. Trump did, but I think he was able to tap in that because that's a part of his character. I truly believe that. Yeah. I, I, I am with you a hundred percent. And yeah. I think that there was, for most politicians, you'd say, well, there's a, there's a baseline that they're not willing to go below. And that wasn't the case with him. Exactly. And bottomless um, pit. For and, him. You, and you trust most people, you know, I trust people aren't going to tell me a bold faced lie to my face on camera. And he had no hesitation to do so. And, that, yeah, and, and that's why the what about is that a lot of people on the right will throw in your face the minute you bring up Trump or, or, or what the Republican Party stands for. They'll throw in this what about ism, you know, mm -hmm. what the left does this, that and the other. While their point may be truthful, it's not comparable to the types of things that Trump did or what the right is doing. Again, there's a certain vile, ugly, um, willfully destructive element Mm -hmm. that's in place on the right that you're not seeing on the left. Yeah. It's going to be very, it's a really, it's a, it's a very dark time. It's going to be interesting to see how the next two or three years play out. It's a very dark time. And I can tell you as an expat here in Norway, watching all of this happen oh, sure. from a different, uh, from a distance, it's, yeah. uh, it's almost like a syndrome that we expats have, at least we here in Norway who com we communicate with, with each other quite a bit. You and I have a common friend, Tiffany Troutman, Yes, uh, yes, yes sure. we, and we talk about this all the time. It's this feeling of um, like we're not doing a duty because we can't get involved the way we want to because of that distance. Mm. It's almost like a syndrome that we have as experts. Yeah. What year did you, what year did you go out to go to Norway? Wow, man. I've been here since 2002. Oh, wow. Okay. 2002. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, it's, so, did so you it's go just post, that was just post nine 11. Is that, was that in, in any way a, um, a catalyst in you going or is that unrelated? No, uh, nine 11 is unrelated. Um, actually uh, I'll, I'll give you the short story. The reason we moved here. Um, I think I told you before I was a police officer yep. <clears throat> in the Chicago area and I had gotten, um, 
involved. I was a detective, and I had gotten involved in a pretty serious case. Um, it was an organization that worked multi-statewide and actually uh, out of the country with drug sales, weapons, um, uh, money laundering, um, mm-hmm. uh, counterfeit money, things like that. And in the process of working that case, they found out where we lived. Now, I was already married to my Norwegian wife at that time when we were living in the Chicago suburbs. Uh-huh. And they found out where we lived, Bob. And short story, push came to shove. And the best thing to do was to, uh, to get out. To get out. So I, I quit that job. And uh, Did you receive threats? Did you find out? Did you? Was, they came to our house. Was it? Uh, they came dude. to our house. Um, it was 1130 at night. Uh, and we got a telephone call from a neighbor, uh, the lady next door who says, hey, I'm looking out the window and three guys just jumped over the fence in your backyard and they're coming to your door. Um, Skip ahead to the next day and 15, 20 guys showed up at my wife's job where she was working. And and, and that that was pretty much it. Um, I put her in the car that evening and drove her up to some friends in Minnesota and she just stayed there for a month or two and then she ended up coming back to Norway and I followed her about a month or two after that. That's terrifying. It it is. It's a crazy uh, occurrence in my life, uh, uh, somewhat traumatic and it was not a good reason to move. I mean, it was a good reason to move, but it wasn't the reason why we wanted to move, but you know, it happened and, and, uh, and here we are. I, I, and I, and I, I couldn't, I I can't go back to the shoulda, woulda, coulda type of thing. Um, Things are well. We're incredibly blessed uh, to be living here. Uh, just talking about the political situation back in the States and the Corona situation back in the States mm-hmm. over the last year, uh, for us to be here in Norway has been an enormous benefit and blessing yeah. to us. I just have to say that. So sure. um, I, can, I can't complain. Can't do it. Can't yeah. complain. Things, everything happens for a reason. It right? sure does. It sure does. Um <laughs> Let me let me ask you uh, another question uh, about your career before we get into um, Vice Force uh, Action Squad. Yeah, okay. uh, we are going to talk about Vice Force Action Squad, but one more question uh, just to fill sure. me in on something I've been curious about. Um, I like your characters that I've seen. They're so funny. They're so comical in a dark and twisted kind of way, especially <laughs> uh, your character on Scrubs. Yeah. How much of that, because um, because I know in some acting situations, you're allowed to put your own personality into it. You're allowed mm-hmm. to change the lines a little bit and more of who you are comes into that character. Are you a comedic person? Are you are you funny? Do you have any wit that that is close to the type of wit and humor that we see in your characters? Yeah, uh, absolutely, and I think that that happens all the time. Um, in fact, I'm, I, you know, I've only occasionally met some actors who are really who you really do think are very very blank slate that way, uh-huh. and I'm certainly not. And I think the Zeltzer character was was closest to who I really am uh, when I I mean my teenage boys are still asleep. If they were to wake up, they would tell you story after story about really inappropriate things that dad has said to just <laughs> I love to get it. a laugh. I love it. Um, <clears throat> uh, and my, you know, my wife, of course, will, she, her, one of her running jokes is that um, getting a laugh supersedes almost any other, you know, less <laughs> like, well, you know, Bob will say it because it got a laugh because, you know, it may have been wildly inappropriate or, or um, 
not a good teaching moment or whatever, but it, <laughs> but it got a laugh. Um, and so, yes, I think the Zeltzer character was closest probably to who I am because I really love that um, when somebody says something and you think and and you do almost do that double take like I can't did he really just say that it, it's just got a, it's either got a a um you know a double entendre or it's just said in a way that you think that's not <laughs> and I and I really really love that and that's just why I think I gravitated to to Zeltzer so much um well that character is brilliantly back. written the the writing on that series the writing oh on that series uh uh, maybe up until the last season uh, was I was yeah, the, br- some of the right. best writing and, and 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 again this is probably my most my, my favorite series of all time yeah, is Scrubs yeah, I've yeah. laughed and cried and that's a, that's an element in Scrubs that I loved it was funny but sometimes it really ripped very, at the heartstrings very, absolutely really really beautiful stuff and um and also because I think you started to over the years care about those people so much oh gosh they yes were so, they were so genuine They're, yes. You know the, their friendships, then the um, the antagonism, the workplace antagonism, all that stuff seemed so real and so yeah. genuine that I think you really felt like you were part of their lives. Um, but you know, uh, we were talking about how Bill's uh, Bill Lawrence's sets work. Um, he will write out. You know, obviously there's the original the, the script as as written, which will they'll do until um, they're happy with what they have. Then he and the writers will pitch out to the actors. Um, alt, alt, alt lines, um, alternative lines. And for a character like Zeltzer, who very often I only had maybe four lines in, you know, in yeah. any given scene, yeah. but they're all really amazing. Yes. And so what they, so, and they're all punchlines. And so yes. Bill and the writers would just throw out, you know, now this one, now this one. And so you just, and, um, and then he would, was especially when he starts to trust you as he kind of did with me after that, then you get a free. Then you get a couple freebies on your own. He says, "Now you surprise me," and I'll throw out one or two that are that I've that have been buzzing around in my head. Right. And then you know, in the editing room, they'll decide what what works best and what and and make their choices. But um, that was the routine way that um, all scenes would be okay. shot. And he really loved all those people, Zach and Donald and everybody. They're all really wickedly good improvisers. Yeah. And they're really good on their feet and. There are a lot of actors who, when you throw them a new line, they they haven't had a chance to process it or think about it. Yeah, and yeah. They can't, and it doesn't mean they're they're worse actors. It's just everybody's got their own manner of and dealing right. with stuff. And that's not a technique that a lot of people do in in uh, in film and TV anyway. So yeah, those actors are fine. But with Bill's sets, he needed people who could adapt immediately on the spot. You throw it to me, I throw it back to you, and I don't, and it's and it's seamless. Um, well, I think it comes so through. People are really good. I think it comes through in this series. People can see that there was something special in that writing process, the writing and directing yeah. process. Do, do you do any writing? Do you do any writing? Bob? I, I don't. I was a big I was a big improviser in college, and I've done several um, shows that were fully improvised. Um, so I, that's sort of my equivalent of writing. But the times that I've tried to actually write story, I've I've not been pleased with it. I don't think oh. I write well for other characters. I don't think I write well for other voices. And I, I can write very well for stuff that I would play, but not for, and I don't think, I don't think big picture story. So no. um, I don't think that's a strength I have. 
What do you aspire to in Hollywood? I mean, every I mean, you've 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 already said you're quite satisfied with the way things have gone. You and you and you you uh, appear to be quite a happy guy, uh, but I'm sure you still have aspirations. What do you? What would you like to see coming over the horizon for you? Uh, you know, to be honest, I love the the level of work that I'm doing. Um, the only thing that I don't particularly care for is the uncertainty of it. Um, in terms yeah. of how, you know, and I'm, I'm in my fifties now. And so going for, you know, forgetting COVID, but, um, if when we're back to normal, going for long periods of time where you're not working when I've got a tuition payment or, yeah. um, yeah. you know, mortgages and stuff is, it's much less appealing in your fifties than it was in your thirties. You know? I can imagine um, that uncertainty of projects and yeah. when will they come and, Will this, that, or the other get canceled for here? Because, you know, you know, it's come, you know, that's the way it is. And you try and be, my wife and I are fairly frugal with how we live. So we always have a a little nest egg that will carry us through the, the um, rougher times. But I think what I would love is to be, um, you know, like with uh, Cougar Town, that was a, that was a steady gig for four or five years. Mm. Um, And so you, you have a certain security that you're, that you're, you feel like can't get, you're gainfully employed. You're, you know yeah. your job isn't ending in two weeks, yeah. um, which is what most of mine are, is I'll do, I'll get on a show and it'll be a week or 10 days worth of work, which is great. And they usually, it pays well. But then after that, I don't know what I'm doing. And um, and that gets that gets a little old, uh, but the, but it's not a surprise. I knew I knew that was the way it was going to be. Can, can you talk about that process? Okay, you, you do a project, uh, you go in, uh, it lasts however long it lasts, and now there's nothing. Do you take a deep breath and lean back and maybe spend a little more time with the family before you start looking for the next gig? Or no, do you I pick up that you're, phone you're, to your... No, to, you're looking for the gig sometimes when you're shooting the previous thing. I, see. I mean, especially yeah. now... You know, everything now is um, being done on, on with self-tape yeah. um, where people are not auditioning in the room in person with anymore. Um, so we have a, like a little studio set up here and my wife will um, shoot and read with read with me um, for and before I submit auditions. And so you're really it's really a constant sort of keeping all the, the juggling balls in the air in terms of where hopefully what's the next job after this and the next one after or one that's you know yeah. get a film that shoots in two months from now and yeah. and um and part of that can be kind of exciting because it's it's a, everything is new it's always you know when i'm i audition if i'm working on a sitcom but i'm auditioning for some drama you know there's there's a constant amount of very variety and that's um exciting and uh feels rewarding sure um, sure the the worst feeling is what it was during covid where there's li- literally nothing i mean nothing's auditioning nothing is so not only you're not working you're not even being you're not even creatively flexing at all how did that um, affect you how it, how hard was uh, that i mean you're saying it's hard but how hard was it can you put put some was, sauce on um, that okay it was it was hard um it's sort of demoralizing because you don't know what's going to be uh, the, f- the future. For me, I was able to weather it, I think, primarily because I've got this amazing family and I was able to focus my my sights on, you know, my son just had his first year in college. And so mm. that became a focus and being and, and living life through what he's experiencing. And I've got, a you know, an amazing wife and we were able to take on some household projects and do some um, things to keep 
that kept us busy. But I know there were a lot of my friends who really didn't fare so well with yeah. if they were single or didn't have strong networks to have that work aspect taken away not just financially but also creatively really did a number on them people either kind of started to lose their minds a little bit or let or yeah. said screw it and they left town and yeah. they said they'll go back to family at least get out of here where i feel like i'm being smothered um so it was it was rough i think on a lot of the creative um industry people yeah, you know, uh, and, and again, it's not just a bed of roses in Hollywood. Again, I want to speak against that narrative that you guys are this elite gang that are, you know, uh, <laughs> living on milk and honey constantly. I mean, it's, oh it's a grind. It's a grind for constantly, you guys. And this having on Twitter all the time when I upset somebody yeah. and they're like, well, you, see? Live, you live with security guards in a gated community. I'm like, are you? What? Have you taken a look at what I'm in? I have a 1,400 square foot house, and I'm and I'm mowing the lawn. Look, I I, like I, I try to be sympathetic to how people have. I try to be sympathetic. Period. But especially this past year, uh, year and a half with uh, with uh, COVID, I try to be sympathetic, regardless of a person's status on that ladder of employment and and status mm -hmm. and whatnot, uh, because COVID has, and, and the isolation has affected people in a lot of different ways. Some people have sailed through it relative, you know, and I shouldn't speak too soon. Like I said, I'm getting tested tomorrow. I know, right? I know. Yeah. And I have asthma. So if I get Corona, I think I'm going to have a rough time of it, but whatever, cross oh, my fingers. Yeah. We'll see. I'm getting tested yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. But, Again, but, but for, but, but for the most part, I've sailed through this. In fact, I've, I've, and it almost makes me feel guilty to say I've almost thrived. My podcast mm -hmm. has really shot up mm -hmm. yeah. uh, over the last year. Um, I've had access to, to some people who I probably wouldn't have had access to, but it, because of COVID, they're sitting at home with not yeah. too much to sure. do. But then I see the other side of things, uh, especially among my friends who are artists, um, uh, you know, musicians, uh, stand-up comics, actors, you know, like yourself. This has not been a bed of roses for them. Uh, it's it's not. And it, when you can't express that though, creative side, when you can't express that creative no. side, there's and, something that's worse than not being able to have things in line financially. There's something about that yeah. creativity that gets stifled that when really that's hurts. Away and you feel that there's nothing. It's a, when you're suddenly in a vacuum. I think that's a very different feeling. Um, now there were some great things that came out of it. I think people um, learned a great deal through like their their Zoom interactions with yeah, friends. Um, yeah. Okay, here's a good example. So we I have this little we have this little group of eight of us that and um, we were four of us were all friends in college and 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 th so they're their partners um, uh, makes eight and we started this this sort of bi monthly Zoom dinner party and every you know second saturday we'd have to we'd get together and we'd have a some sort of theme night or a game night or something um but it was one of the most enjoyable experience and we would look forward to it for 10 you know for 10 days to this next party where we're going to see everybody and feel like you're social that's beautiful and, would, and it was just it was fabulous and other you know there are other great things that came out of covid where people learned stuff about themselves or yeah. they took up picked up new hobbies there were a bunch of very creative People that uh, you know, I was just watching Blair Erskine last night on um, who's the MSNBC guy who was kicked off. Uh, I love his show too. Um, oh, yeah, he uh, comes on after Rachel. Yes, <clears throat> he used to be NBC. What's his name? He used to be NBC and then he he did something bad and now he's on total brain fart. Uh, I should know who this guy is. Anyway, yeah, so. It, but Blair Erskine is that she's the one, the very fiery redheaded woman yeah. who does all the characters. And so, and he said, 
he, you know, he cut to her for uh, her take on the ERCOT, the Texas uh, power grid that had gone down. She had done a very funny bit on that. Um, and there, were, and or Sarah Cooper was another one that came out of COVID. You know, all yeah. these really creative um, people that sort of suddenly found a, a voice and a and a and a venue yeah. through COVID was was kind of exciting too. Um, so there was there are some silver linings, I think. You know, it, it, uh, it for some creative people, um, COVID was a was a stimulus to that cre- creativity. Mm-hmm. You know, they wanted mm-hmm. to stay creative. How are they going to do it now? And people came yeah. up with some really amazing ways of doing that, and, and hats boys. off to them. But but also my heart goes out to those people yeah. who, who who suffered, uh, and oh, still yeah. are suffering. Some people have been broken by these times, and that's why I, I I can't help but get a little pissed off. I have a lot of tolerance for people, but I get pissed off when I hear people try to uh, minimalize the effects of, of of COVID, or they try to just. Uh, I know delegitimize the, the 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 experts who tell us how dangerous this can be yeah. you know and it's about yeah. to get personal for me depending on what this test well, <laughs> this test that probably, I'm we, take we don't want to dip back into the in the political waters no, fully, no. but the um but the but the ability to make a disease partisan is so isn't it sad it's <sighs> vile that you can you, know, you could you could literally just tell who someone voted for by the way yeah. they behaved in a pandemic I mean, that's ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. I want the good old days where I could have friends and family who were on the opposite uh, side of the political spectrum, who were who were yeah. Republicans, and we would have friendly disagreements, and we would come out of it knowing a little something better about that uh, about that person. Whereas yeah. today, it's just a, it's immediately a write off. It's hatefulness. And that goes above and beyond politics. That's a social. That's a social dilemma we have. Well, I don't know about you, but I, you know, I come from a, a relatively conservative family. I've got yeah. a ton of military in my family. Yeah. I was, I was always very moderate, and you know, I voted, I voted for w, uh, George W. Um, because I was really sort of disappointed in how Bill Clinton handled um, yeah. the, uh, the the Lewinsky stuff and his perjury yeah. and stuff. That really upset me. Sure. Because I felt, because I expected more from a president. Sure. So I voted for George W. And I'm, I voted for Schwarzenegger. There are plenty of Republicans I voted for, but the, the current Republican party is a party that bears no this, resemblance. This to is anything. not the Republican party. This um, is something totally different. Yeah. yeah. Oh God! Enough of politics. Okay. <laughs> vice uh, force, vice force, action vice force. squad. Okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that's. So, I'm so you know, I, this it's this a little thing, a little, um, and I'm dying to watch the what you talked to Eric about because I think the world of him. Um, and I love that guy. Thing, this thing has languished for a couple of years. He really he held it back for quite a while before because we filmed this. Yeah. I think probably three years ago. Yeah. Um, but it's a little it's so scrappy and it's small and it's the kind of the project that I love being associated with because it's it's like the little engine that could yes and um and i think and i and you and i sort of briefly when we did the sort of the pre-interview talked about the tone of it um how that really speaks to me uh for a number for a number of reasons but i don't think it's had a huge you know certainly it hasn't built up its little cult following yet but i think it's the kind of thing that could because it's so it's different and it's um like I said, I think scrappy is a really good yeah, word for it. Yeah. It's made made by people who there are no names in it. Um, it's and it's and but it's shot beautifully. I think it's written uh, oh, exquisitely, yeah. and I think the acting's great. So I'm, I really hope people get a chance to see it, and I'm delighted that you picked up on it because 
Um, that's, I think, how we would end up getting some kind of generated interest in it is through, well, through people like you. Well, 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 thank you for saying that. And I tell you, I'm, I'm doing my part uh, to, to give this project as much exposure as I can help with because uh, I, I think it needs to be seen. Um, yeah. Like I was telling you on the phone the other day, it is a different kind of comedy. Um, <laughs> and I can't even put words in it. I fumble when I try to explain <laughs> how it's different because it's so strangely different. As, as a former yeah. police officer myself... I, I hear you guys who are acting in this film joking about things that we used to joke about, very similar to the things that we used to joke about with real cases. Yeah. yeah. And it, ju it, just, it just really, really hit home. Of course, you guys take it to the extreme with the, with the, 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 the stupidity and the outrageousness, but, but that element of realism about what cops yeah. really do joke about is in there. Well, I also think that, and I've always been a huge fan of playing the, the best comedy is, is comedy that's played really straight. Oh um, God. Yes. It, you know, is if you, the more seriously that you take it as an actor, the, be, the better it reads yeah. as comedy to yeah. the audience. Yeah. Um, I think, I think I told everybody does. I think Daniel and Taylor both do a great job of fully committing to those boneheaded characters who <laughs> believe everything that they say. And they are um, boneheaded 100%. characters. Yeah, right. And, and it's great. And the acting is done, like you say, it's done in such a way to where I, for me personally, when I'm watching a comedy, I'm very much aware of the actors reading lines and mm -hmm. their made up lines. But maybe it's because. I'm a former cop, and like I say, you guys are touching on things that we actually joked about. But the 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 acting is done in such a way, and the storyline is done in such a way that I got sucked in, and I didn't look at you guys as actors. I looked at you. You guys were living those parts, and everything is done it, not in this hacky, ha-ha way, uh -huh. but with this yep. very serious, almost very Shakespearean yeah. delivery. Yeah, yeah, and I think so too. And beautifully, beautifully written and beautifully performed. Well, we had talked a little bit about um, earlier in the pre-thing about how this also, to me, harkens back to some of those um, late '70s, early '80s cop shows that were that really took themselves extremely seriously. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, the, their heroes were really heroic, unlike these guys. But I think the tone was very similar, um, you know. And then Eric added some of these great elements. I think the music and the way some of these scenes are shot um, really is sort of an, uh, a little bit of a, a homage to um, those, those cheat like Beretta or Canon yeah. or, you know, any of those shows in the seventies, eighties that were really, um, well, super cops, you know, Starsky and Hodge, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, well, Eric is such a brilliant creative mind, but it's like I said to him when I had him on the podcast, I said, the, the storyline in the, in the writing is so crazy that the guy who wrote it, the guy who came up with this has to be talented. <laughs> I mean, you just, you can't yeah. be a hack and come up with something like this. You've right, got to really right. know what you're doing. You've got to really no, have no. an analytical mind, but also have the looseness and creativity to put it in this new kind of comedic format. And I truly mm -hmm. call this a different kind of comedy. If I could That's sum great. it up, if I were to make a poster, a promo poster yeah. for you guys, it would say a different kind of comedy because it is, yeah, there's nothing yeah. like it out there. I agree. I agree. Uh, that's great. I'm really delighted that uh, that you 
you know, that has reached somebody like you, because I think you're, you're kind of our target audience. And um, I, I would lo love it if this thing would have some kind of future life after this. Well, or, the thing is, you know, the magic of YouTube, because for, for those who are watching and listening, this is a uh, what's called a web series. And it's in a series of 10 installments. I don't know what the average length, but I want to say maybe five minutes. Four length, or five four, minutes, yeah. I'm guessing. They're pretty quick. Yeah. yeah, pretty quick so that it will keep your attention. Uh, in fact, when I watched it, I watched the first four episodes uh, the day, the very same day I found out about you guys. I sat down, watched the first four episodes, and I had to stop because I had to do, I yeah. had to live my life. life but I, right. but life. So I got back into it the next day, but I went back to the first one because I knew I, I need to watch all of this in one sitting. It's and true. I did, yeah. I did exactly that. Sat down and watched all 10 episodes and was left one thing more. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It, it, it was written in such a way that you cannot help but want more. So I'm thinking that element, you know, when we talk about this living a life, uh, that element there, that, that thing that pulls the viewer in and makes us want more, uh, yeah. that plus uh, the magic of YouTube, if, if it just catches on through that algorithm, and how does that happen? Mm -hmm. That happens by word of mouth. How did I find right. out about it? Word of mouth. What am yeah. I doing to help spread it? Word of mouth. I hope there's people listening that are going to hear about this. And when I post, uh, when I posted Eric's episode, I linked to it. When I post your episode, okay. I'm going to link to it. When I speak to Taylor and um, and um, uh, Daniel, Daniel, I'm going to yep. link to it. So so it yeah. has to be a word of mouth thing. But I can see this getting True. popular. I can see this well, getting that cult following. Um, one of the benefits of YouTube is that it's not. Um, it's not a case of watch it this Tuesday at 930. Right. It, it will live there it's until there. the right, like you say, the right, you know, and the word, the right little fire starts. Yeah. And, um, you know, I always have, a, I'm not very, a, not a very good self promoter. Like I'll put stuff up, but I don't hammer it because I feel like I'm, it, it feels distasteful to be, so, you know, always promoting something that I'm in. Um, but I really do. This is the kind of thing where I could get behind because I think it's, it does, um, uh, deserve uh, an audience well and and this this is also a relatively small it's a very small production it's independently made and yep. that makes it so much more attractive to me i'm in Self -financed, it yeah. exactly i'm i'm into these kind of things you know the go-getters you know uh, you know mm -hmm. eric is a go-getter um you know eric started all of this without the the you know, you talk about Hollywood and, and Hollywood influence. He's doing this without all of that. He's standing on his own yeah. two feet. And there's something that's incredibly attractive about that. I think if I that agree. element, I, I'm not a publicist or <laughs> a producer or anything, but I would think that if that element could get out there to the people, that this is indif independently funded by one guy's dream. Yep. And now, did he talk a bit at all about why he held on, why he held it back for uh, and and mulled over releasing it for a couple of years? Um, you know, we didn't. And in fact, I've already told Eric I, I need to have him back because yeah. we started off talking about Vice Force Action Squad right away, and we had maybe fifteen minutes of that, and then we got into talking about the ins and outs of Hollywood for yeah. well over an hour, and I <laughs> literally had, to, and I usually don't do this. I'll let my guests take it wherever it goes, but I had to stop him and say, "Hey, man, we need to get back to we, Vice we Force." Track, right, yeah, right. so we ended up with maybe forty-five minutes about it. So I think that that kind of got lost in the whole thing, but I think yeah, that's a important. Yeah, but I think that's an important part yeah. of the story. Again, if yeah. that. If that if that uh, that average guy 
element gets out there to the people, it's going to make it very attractive. So what what yeah. do you want to say oh, about oh. that, about that path to getting this released and why it got helpful? You know, I, that, that actually was not, um, I wasn't part of the team, uh, any part of the decision making. For, I was just okay. a hired gun for okay. this because I, um, Eric may have told you during his discussion that he was a writer on Cougar Town. Yes. And that's how I knew him. And I really liked him from when we were on set and just we hit it off. And so when he came uh, to me and said, uh, you know, would you be, yeah, and this, this is a role for me that's way out of my normal comfort zone. Like I, I would never, I never play a, a, like a, a police chief. I mean, I'm always the, you know, the criminal. I'm going to be the guy that's, that's uh, walked into the, the, yeah, the booking room. The deviant. The, but you um, can say you're the right, voice exactly. of reason. You're the voice of reason right. in this series. Which is, so for a number of reasons, this was totally sort of outside of my comfort zone, which has made me even more excited to do it. Because I'm looking for more and more things that are kind of like a little departure from where I'm. I love like it. I've been cast at, uh, a I lot. love that. That's the. This is exactly the kind of project where you're going to be able to do it because it's it's small and it's self financed yeah. and yeah. it's going to give actors a chance to like. You can stretch your legs a little bit. A little bit try yeah. something new. Yeah. Exactly. So it was super appealing for a number of reasons, and and I did that. Um, and then I'd run into Eric or we'd chat, uh, and I'd say, you know, is, what's happening with that? He says, oh, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm not. It's not quite ready yet. But so I was never part of okay. uh, any of the um, producer kind of roles for okay. deciding yeah. why why something happened or not. I was just delighted when it finally came out because I got yeah. to see it and I knew yeah. it was going to be funny, and I was really thrilled. So, I, was so, thinking, I, yeah, I, I, I knew it was funny when we were doing it. I think it was yeah. it surpassed my expectations when, when I finally saw it uh, in okay. terms of the quality of the filmmaking. So it, it, it surpassed your expectations. Yeah. Now, I think you kind of hinted to not being the type of actor who can, uh, I think what you said was you can't, uh, you find it difficult at times to promote things that you've been on. But, yeah. can, but how, how do you feel about when you see, you, you do watch yourself, you do watch your own performances, right? Afterwards? I do. I mean, yeah? and is that a weird? Reluctantly, I don't like, I don't particularly like it. I, um, you know, I, I'm always thinking about something I wish I'd done instead of the thing I did. Uh, so I'm a, sometimes a little negative. And yeah. my, wife, my wife, uh, gets irritated with me because I, I often don't tell her in advance when I'm in stuff, I have to pre-screen it because I want to make sure that, I, I that, see. that I, it passes my, my test before I let her or family know about it. I can, I can identify with that. My wife doesn't even know the name of my podcast and she's a frequent <laughs> and she's a frequent guest on my podcast. I embarrass her constantly because at the end right, I'll say, now right. tell everybody how to find me and she'll stumble because <laughs> she doesn't even know the name of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're, we're cut from the same cloth then. Um, so yes, yeah, so I, yeah, I don't, I'm not a great self self promoter. Um, but it certainly makes it easier when it's something you really think is, is, is good and worthy of, of attention. And, uh, that's what I would say about this. So you, 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 you had to kind of stretch out a little bit. You were in, in slightly unfamiliar territory with your, with your role as police chief in vice force action squad. So yes. when you watch it, you say you enjoy it. You say it is funny. What do you see in that performance that has given you growth? Because to me, a new challenge means growth. Whether you succeed or fail, yeah. the endeavors that you meet, the endeavors in which you engage during that new challenge, it means growth, period. Yeah. How have um, you grown from this? That's a great question. I, th I think uh, when I watched it, I was, I was pleased with the fact that I could have, um, we would call it sort of weight, um, as an actor, like that there was, um, uh, seriousness and gravitas to who I was, which usually I don't bring to a role. Right. I'm usually much quirkier and flightier and, yeah. um, 
um, and more neurotic or whatever. Yeah. And so I think the police and uh, what I wanted to do with the police chief is have, you know, the stereotypical guy with weight and, um, uh, and intensity. And I thought that I, I hit, hit that, uh, in a way that made me happy, which it was, which was, um, encouraging because that was uh, something I wanted to see more of in my work. Yeah. Well, it definitely was a different role, uh, for you. When I found out you were in it, I, I, and I probably should apologize, but I was expecting you to be almost, a Dr. Zeltzer type of guy, but then, yeah. but then here you are. And it was quite obvious. This was a different, yeah. this was different ground that you were treading on. Um, yeah. and I'm always attracted to that struggle growth type of thing. Yeah. So I saw that I identified that immediately once that I saw that this good. was a different kind of character for you. So it's, it's yeah, interesting to hear you speak on that. Um, yeah. And I think, uh, yeah, it was, it, 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 yeah, it was just a really positive experience. There's so there's not always the case when, um, and I think sometimes with these smaller projects that where everybody is either volunteering their time or close to it and, and, but doing it because they really love it. There's, there's something you see in those projects, I think, that um, that comes through on the screen that's um, that's kind of wonderful. Tell me a little bit about Taylor and Daniel. Have you ever worked with them before? For no, those who are watching or listening, Taylor and Daniel are the two uh, uh, main characters, the two detectives in this series. You've never worked with them before? No, never worked with either of them, um, and I would absolutely do it again in a heartbeat. I thought they were both superb. They were those guys were really good. Easy. They were really good. They were really, um, again, we talked about, like, that ability to be fairly um, flexible and loose on set, like uh, like in, in, with the Scrubs group, they have that in spades. And so, like there was stuff that we would be doing that would kind of veer off script, or we yeah. um, come up with new bits of business. And they were both really just um, perfect at adapting and 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 flying with stuff, which um, and I love to work that way. And uh, I think you can often get some really exciting new things that maybe weren't on the page. Uh, when you started just by, by yeah. being really uh, kind of open to it uh, during shooting. Well, it's, it's, it's a, it's a wonderful piece of art and it was just really cool to see that you were a part of it. Um, it was really interesting to hear the story of it from Eric's yeah. point of view and now I from bet. your point of view. And, uh, and not too long, I'll be speaking with uh, Daniel and, with uh, and Taylor about it. And then that'll kind of bring things to a close temporarily because again i'm not done trying to get the word out yeah. about this series so we'll we'll see what we can put together uh, uh after i've spoken with daniel and uh, and and taylor well but, we uh, appreciate it immensely and uh thank you so much for for taking an interest in the show two things i want to ask you bob as we as we close out yeah um there's a thing that I've started asking my guests, two questions that I've started asking my guests. And I don't know if I'm going to make this a habit, but it's been fun so far. <laughs> so I'm going to say three words and then I want you to fill in the rest using okay. as many words or sentences as, as, as you need. Uh -oh. Bob Clendenin is, go ahead. Bob Clendenin is, I'm, a, I'm terrible. There's I'm just so, terrible. There's so much to this. You, I don't want to start off on the wrong foot. Um, uh, Bob Clendenin is a, a genuinely nice guy who has several issues. Wow. That's very deep, Bob. 
That's very deep. Will, will, will that will that will that do for now? Hey, man, if that's what you give, that's what we'll take. That will do for now. That's no, 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 that's no. very deep, I though. Think I need to, well, that's my wife. Hello, wife. Um, come say hi. She just did a drive-by. Tell her to come say hi. He says, he says come say hi. <laughs> I have to take you off microphone now. Oh. Uh, this this is John in Norway. Hi. John in Norway. This is, my, this is my wife, Erin. Hi, Erin. How are you? Aaron. I'm how, fine, thanks. How are you? You know, I'm doing great. Uh, you have such a wonderful husband here. I've kind of known him from a distance through Twitter. We have a very good friend in common on Twitter. And to sit here and speak with him now is quite the blessing. He's a, he's just, he's the guy I thought he was. See? Yeah. She's still not sold. She doesn't know. Well, it's not that I'm not sold. I love him. I'm still with him. 20 years. We just had a 20th, for our 20th anniversary. Oh, congratulations. Congratulations. A couple yeah. months ago, I had my 20th anniversary with my wife. So, yeah. Wow. It's a, that's a pretty, that's pretty great. Congratulations Thank you. To you as well. She's a crazy, tiny little spitfire of a Norwegian woman, but I love her. Okay, fantastic. Nice to meet you, nice. See, and that's what my podcast is. And you never know. I've had episodes where my kids have come in and asked me what's for dinner and all kinds of stuff like that. So to have your wife on for yeah, a second is no big COVID thing. There was a, a compilation video of, um, uh, it was a compilation video on air anchors or pundits being interrupted by their family, by their, by their children or their wives during the course of their putting their, and it was just, it's like a little 10 minute compilation of and it was hilarious because it was just the world we lived in for at least the past yeah, year. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you, so you answered Bob, Bob Clinton is, uh, and, and thank yeah, you for that. That's a, very deep. Really nice guy. I, I, I'm uh, going to submit that to my, issues. I'm going to submit that to my wife. She's in the medical field. She is a psychiatric nurse. So I'm going to submit oh, that to I'm my wife. Getting a call from her. And and then the second does she do free consultations? Can I do as the first one free? She she she's so mean. She's gonna squeeze you for every penny you have. She's gonna tell you. She's the kind of person she'll tell you what you need to hear to where you really think you're fucked up. And then she's gonna um, take all she, your money. But you know what? I've had I, I I've not actually been through been in very much therapy. But the one I have, the few times I have, I've wanted so desperately to have that kind of therapist. Therapist say, you know what? you're a fucking mess. You need to do this, this, and this. But instead, a lot of times you get, well, that's okay. Let's talk about that. And it's like, yeah. no, I want to know what I did wrong. I, I, I think I lean that way as well. Um, my, my therapy is this podcast. Um, mm -hmm. I started this podcast. Um, I lost my son to a heroin overdose. Oh, oh yeah. God, I'm so sorry. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, November of 2019, I lost him to a heroin overdose and I was extremely, oh my God, extremely depressed and just didn't know which way to turn. How old was he? 24, oh, 24. Um, and that was his eighth or ninth overdose. So he had, he really had Even angels looking for out for, time. he had angels looking out for him to be able to recover that many times from, from, I'm, I'm talking overdose out down for the count. When did he start using? Do you know? Um, from what he said, he was 17. So that's a lot of years of a, of a so lot of amazing. suffering, but, but this podcast talking with people who, and, and again, I, I tease my wife relentlessly, but she's the smartest person and the best friend I have. She told me I need to find some way 
of getting inspiration to get out of that depression and all of that inactivity. And she had been pushing me for years to either get into radio or do a podcast. And she said, why don't you start that podcast and invite people on and just start talking again. Yeah. And you might learn a few things. And by God, I have, uh, 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 I've, I've learned a I lot from you. It's, an, it's inspiring. It's motivating. And how can I be, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm always depressed and I'm still trying to deal with this thing, but sure. how can I be inactive when I'm on yeah. a microphone and yeah. video camera talking with people who are so doggone interesting and yeah. who have so many motivating aspects to their life? So that's my therapy. This podcast is my therapy. Um, well, I, uh, um, my, my heart goes out to you. I, I can't even fathom the, the Thank pain. You. That, I mean, being a father as well, it, it, that's, it's unimaginable. It, it really that, knocked that me that out. It really gone. did. And I don't know yeah, if I'm dealing I, with it properly. I don't know how long it's going to take, but uh, you know, one day yeah. at a time, one step at a time, and I just have to keep well, keep looking to looking for motivation. So, well, this has been an immensely um, enjoyable uh, talking to you. Um, last thing, last time, thing, last thing. Flew. Last, last thing. One sentence. Can is you give? Gonna be, is it going to be another one of those tests? Because <laughs> I think I failed the last one. I can't do another test. Let's see if you can redeem yourself. One okay. sentence. Can you give me one sentence that you think will lift? my listeners and viewers up. Um, again, this podcast is based on, on, uh, you know, I wasn't telling you all this just to have a pity party, but I wanted to kind of lead into this question. Can you give one sentence to my viewers and listeners that will lift them up? Because this podcast is about motivation, inspiration, and uplifting stories. Can you tell them one sentence, uh, please? I will say, I will say that one of the things that I, one of the lessons that I've learned over this last year, I think is that we saw the absolute worst in people but we also saw the absolute best in people and Amen. I think we saw some some stuff in humanity that it should be incredibly inspiring to all of us and if we can focus on that and not the um the stuff that we were not as proud of um we can realize that how inherently uh, good we are and how much we can achieve um now that we're finally released back into the wild and we can in interact normal you know hopefully yeah. more normally and, and more socially um I think for me, I, what I, I learned, I crave so much cause I'm a solitary, relatively solitary person mm -hmm. and I don't, you know, need, um, a lot of interaction when it was taken away. I realized how much I do actually <sighs> indeed need it. Yeah. And, um, and I'm so eager to be surrounded by people who I can show how much they mean to me. Um, isn't that what it's all about? Yeah. When yeah. you give that much, you can't help but get that much back. Yep. Beautiful I words, so. beautiful and wise words from a beautiful and wise human being, oh, Bob Clinton. And, uh, I love your work, man. I have so much respect for what you. Thank you for this motivating, uh, amusing, and, and interesting conversation, Bob. Um, good luck in all you do going forward. Uh, maybe John, this isn't the so maybe this isn't the last time we speak. Who knows? We'll see. I, I would love that. You were an absolute joy to speak to, and I and I would love to do it again sometime. Awesome, awesome, Bob Clinton, and everybody. All right, man.